Look around you. Take a deep breath. Isn't it wonderful to be alive? Isn't it wonderful to be in God's house on the Sabbath morning? You know, a couple weeks ago when our, our friends were all staying with us, they were here for the memorial service, uh, Christina's Aunt Joy bought all the kids a little flashlight. And that evening, uh, one of the little girls, Emily, had her little flashlight, and she took it, she turned it on, she's playing with it, and she stuck it down into her hand. As she looked at her hand, you should have seen her eyes get wide, and her mouth dropped open, and she's looking at her, and she could see, you could almost see all the little blood vessels in her hand. And her hand was glowing, this bright red from that flashlight. Now, the flashlight wasn't red, and her hand wasn't red without the light, but when she put that light in there, her hand glowed red, and she asked me, why is it red? Why was her hand red? Because there's blood flowing through her hand. Every part of your body that's alive has blood flowing through it. And if you were to do that with your hand, you could probably see, or your fingers, you could probably see a red glow coming through from the blood that is in your body. Did you know that in order to live, every cell in your body has to have oxygen? Now, that shouldn't be any problem because about 21% of the air that is in this room is made up of oxygen. So it shouldn't be any problem for all of our cells to have oxygen, right? Well, the only problem is that most of our cells can't breathe oxygen out of the air. In fact, really, you should be dead. Quite honestly, you should be dead right now. In fact, you would be dead if it weren't for this one miraculous thing that we call blood. You know, most adults have approximately six pints of blood circulating through their body. It takes about a minute for a blood cell to go from your heart, down through your lungs, back to your heart, and then out to, the, to whatever extremity of the body that it's going to, and back to the heart. It does one circuit, kind of like a figure eight, because it comes through the heart twice, right? But uh, it, it comes through, and it takes about one minute for all of the blood in your body to circulate through your heart. But did you know that if you were to take all of your veins and arteries and capillaries and lay them all out in a straight line, they would wrap around the world about four times. That's how many blood vessels are in your body. And all that blood goes through it in about a minute. You know, blood does a lot of really important things for us. But one of the most important things is that it carries the oxygen from the air to every living cell in our bodies. But you know, blood is a liquid. And oxygen is gas. So if our lungs were to just pump little oxygen bubbles into our bloodstream, I don't think that would work too well. I think that our blood vessels would get all clogged up with bubbles and, and uh, we'd probably die pretty quick, wouldn't we? But it doesn't work that way. There's a marvel of engineering that goes into blood. It's not just this red liquid. In their bloodstream, there's roughly 30 trillion living cells. And the most common cell is what we call the red blood cell. They're smaller than most of the cells in your body, and they act like tiny rafts that carry the oxygen through your body. Each one of these tiny red blood cells holds about 270 million 
molecules of hemoglobin. And those molecules of hemoglobin can instantly attach to an oxygen molecule and carry it safely through the liquid of your bloodstream and then just as quickly detach from that and let the oxygen go into whatever cell that it needs to go into. And then there's a, there's a different process for the carrying the uh, CO2 through the liquid part of your bloodstream, dissolving it in and carrying it back to the lungs. You know, even the shape of the red blood cells is important. They're not round. They're kind of like a cross between a pancake and a donut. Uh, we call it a biconcave disc. Um, and I'm not a medical person, but uh, I've seen some of the pictures of the, uh, the red blood cells. And even the shape is important. It helps your blood cells to absorb the oxygen quickly. And it also helps to keep the uh, blood from uh, damaging your arteries and your veins as well. Every little piece of the blood is engineered specifically to keep you alive. And we haven't even talked about the white blood cells in your immune system and all of that. You know, blood is so important to human life that throughout history, blood has been equated with life itself. If your heart were to stop beating, if your blood were to stop flowing, or if you were to be wounded and lose so much blood, it would be very soon and you would be dead. Even though you're surrounded by clean, fresh air, your body, your cells would starve for oxygen. You know, it's an amazing, in the last few years, medical science has actually discovered ways, if your heart stops beating, uh, someone can start performing what's called CPR. They can push it on your chest. And actually, at one time, I was trained in CPR. I don't think I'm certified anymore. I think it's expired. But, but by, by pumping your chest, they can get that heart going again. And, and uh, if they do it soon enough and strong enough, then uh, the, when the medical personnel come, they might be able to restart your heart and keep you alive. Or even if you lose a lot of blood, now you, they can actually do what's called a blood transfusion and take blood from another person. Usually it's already been donated and they have enough blood bank. They can take another person's blood and inject it into your veins and keep you alive, even if you've lost too much blood in order to live. So why am I talking about this? You probably, some of you may be a little queasy about blood. I, I, I kind of get that way. Uh, so sorry about that. Why am I talking about all this? And what does this have to do with church? You know, the Bible actually says a lot about blood. From beginning to end, it talks about blood. And one of the texts I want us to go to today is found in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28. Matthew is giving the account of the Last Supper. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The blood of the new covenant. What does Jesus mean by this phrase, the blood of the covenant? And why is blood so closely connected with the gospel? Remember what I said a moment ago, that blood is often equated with life? The Bible actually makes this equation over and over again, and I'll give you just a few texts. God said to Noah in Genesis 9, verses, verse 4, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And in Leviticus chapter 17, in verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And in verse 14, its blood sustains its life. Over and over and over again, you have this concept that life and blood go together. Without the blood, you can't have life. 
Ever since the beginning of time, God has had his law. He had requirements for Adam and Eve. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. It's as if God's law is like the DNA of the universe. It tells us how to be loving, how to love God, how to love one another. When we choose to love ourselves more than we love God, it's as if we suffer this mortal wound and the lifeblood that God has given to us begins to hemorrhage out. And in consequence, we suffer misery and death. You know, right after the fall of Adam and Eve, God set up a system of animal sacrifices to help us to look forward to Jesus. By the time of the Exodus, God's people had been for centuries in the land of Egypt and had completely forgotten his law. They didn't even know what God required of them. So God gave them his law again. We find it in Exodus 20. He spoke 10 commandments. Picture yourself there in the camp of the children of Israel, and God comes down in a cloud on this mountain, and and he's speaking directly to the people from the mountain in a thunderous voice with lightning and thunder and an earthquake. And the people are saying, no, no, don't, don't let God speak to us. Moses, you go and speak to God and then come. And so Moses goes up in the mountain and he he speaks with God and God continues to give him instructions, almost as if it were like a constitution for the people of Israel, a continuation of the Ten Ten Commandments and an explanation of the Ten Commandments. And you find that in Exodus 20, 21, 22, and 23. And uh, he writes this all in a book. And he comes down from the mountain and he offers a sacrifice for the people. Early in the morning, he gets up and offers this sacrifice. And then he stands up, and we find this in Exodus 24. And if you'd like to turn there with me, Exodus 24. So he takes this book in verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And the people said, they said, All that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, this is the blood from the sacrifice, and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all of these words. It was like signing a contract, so to speak, signing the Constitution. And God says, Here are all the things that I will do for you. Here are my requirements. And the people says, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do and be obedient. But you know, I think that even here, the people missed the point. God actually had so much more that he wanted to give them. In fact, even when they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient, I think that at that point, they had already misjudged the purpose of this covenant. You see, it was through the sacrifice that Moses had offered, pointing forward to Jesus. And it was through that blood that Moses had sprinkled on the people that God wanted to empower the people to keep the covenant. Not all that God has said we will do, but in God's strength, we will allow him to change us. But they didn't realize their need of a change. And so God allowed them to make this covenant, which is referred to later in the scripture as the Old Covenant. God allowed them to make this in order to allow them to see 
how utterly incapable they would be of keeping it on their own. You know, the, this sprinkled blood, if the people had understood, would have enabled them to keep the covenant, but they didn't get it. It would have worked a change in their hearts and lives, so that rather than trying to keep the law in their own strength, they could rest in the assurance of what God was doing in and through them. And the sign of the covenant that God wanted from Israel was not a promise of obedience, but it was a sign of trust and rest. Turn with me a few chapters over to Exodus 31, verse 13. You should know this verse by now. Exodus 31, 13. Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And go down to verse 16. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. My friends, God gave the children of Israel a sign of the covenant. Not a sign of all that God has said we will do, but a sign of rest and acknowledging that only God could be the one to do the work through them. You know, scarcely had they made their promise, and they'd already broken it. As soon as Moses had returned to the mountain to get those tables of stone that God had written with his own finger, he hadn't yet come down from the mountain before the people were worshiping an idolatrous golden calf. And so it was throughout the history of Israel, through Jeremiah, God promised to make a new covenant with Israel. A covenant that wouldn't be based on the promises of man, but a covenant that would be based on the promises of God and the blood of Jesus. And if you want to turn with me there, Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt? My covenant, which they broke, though I was an husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. My friends, this is the new covenant. The promise of one who would come and through his Holy Spirit would not have an external law that is a law of judgment, but would take that same law and write it upon our hearts so that we could keep it. We find in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 28. God says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. 
I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. You know, I believe, friends, that this was the covenant that God had wanted to make with the children of Israel, even all the way back in Exodus, through the sprinkling of the blood. They didn't get it, and so God had to come back to establish a better covenant. And it wasn't until the coming of Christ that God's people really started to understand what it meant, the sprinkling of the blood, that blood of the covenant. We read there in Matthew chapter 26 about the Lord's Supper. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You know, Jesus had said in John chapter 6, verse 54, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And in verse 56, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now Jesus was on the brink of his great sacrifice. No longer would we have to look forward to Christ through types and symbols, but we could look to the cross and all could see the blood of Christ flowing from his hands, from his feet, and from his side. Poured out for those who would believe in him to be infused, as it were, a blood transfusion for all in this sin-sick world to be transformed, and to live a new and spiritual life. Paul writes in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. And he goes on to quote the verse from Jeremiah that we just read. Hebrews 9, 13 and 14 For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? My friends, this is the blood of the covenant. Paul writes in Hebrews 12, 24, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. My friends, what does this blood mean to you? Just as the blood was sprinkled on the congregation of the children of Israel, so Christ's blood has been shed for the whole world. And just as our physical blood sustains our physical life, So, my friends, the blood of Jesus is essential to sustain our spiritual life. It's not a one-time transaction. I believe it's a daily experience. Yes, he shed his blood on the cross. Yes, he forgives our sins. That is justification. 
but it goes on beyond the mere transaction. I'm not going to hold you guilty anymore. But he says, rise and walk in newness of life. The gospel is not about a fire escape plan to save us in the afterlife. Yeah, I believe that's part of it, but I believe more. The gospel is about a relationship and a life of victory that begins here and now. What will it mean? I believe that God has shown us what life should look like by giving us his Ten Commandments. Will we, like ancient Israel, say all that the Lord has spoken we will do in our own strength? I've tried that, friends. It doesn't work. Will we not rather say, Lord Jesus, I see your law. I see what you require, but there's nothing that I can do without you. I'm powerless to keep it, but I behold your cross. I come to you in faith, claiming our promise that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And with the doubting father, I cry, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Lord, apply the merits of your blood to my life. Blot out my sin, but not only that, bury my old life in the death of Christ, that I may rise to walk in newness of life. My friends, I believe that a prayer like this prayed with a sincere heart, will not go unheard. This is the blood of the covenant. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 13, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Shall we pray? Loving Father in heaven, how can we thank you enough for the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross, that not only forgives our sins, that not only opens the door to heaven, but opens the door to a new life in this world. Help us, Lord, not in our own strength, but in your strength, to go forth and to live the life of victory that you have for us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.